everyone, welcome to this week's episode of the Thrive with the Asbury Seminary podcast. I'm your host, Heidi E. Wilcox, bringing you conversations with authors, thought leaders, and people just like you, who are looking to connect where your passion and the world's deep needs connect. This week on the podcast, I'm talking with Stephanie Raglan, Director of Programs at the Hope Center, Pastor at Embry Chapel AME Church in Elizabethtown, Kentucky, and current Doctor of Ministry student. In this episode, we talk about how Stephanie found God's healing, hope, and grace in her darkest season, and now how she shares that hope with others. Let's listen. Thank you so much for taking the time to come by today. I'm really looking forward to our conversation and learning more about um, what you do as a pastor and then your work at the Hope Center as well. Okay. Thank, Thank you, you for the invitation. Yeah. I so, count an honor and privilege. Yeah. So if we could tell me a little bit about you. Well, um, I'm from um, Simpsonville, Kentucky, which is right outside of Shelbyville. Uh, yes, the yes, Outlet Mall. Mall. Matter of fact, I live just about five minutes away from that mall. That's where I grew up. Oh, my goodness. You're yes. that close to heaven. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've only been to that mall probably three times, though. Okay. Yes. But um, I, I grew up there, went to went to school, went to church um, there, um, uh, went to the Baptist church, and also went to the Church of God. My father was Church of God. My mother was Baptist. But when my grandmother died in 74, um, and then um, we went strictly uh, in the Baptist Church, um, grew up there, went to high school at Shelby County, um, and graduated in 1983, and uh, graduated in the top 10% of my class, and so I was excited about that. Played a lot of sports uh, when I was in school and did well, went to college. What sports did you play? I played basketball, um, and, and of course I played softball in the summertime. Uh-huh. And uh, my senior year in, in um, high school, I, um, I ran track. And qualified for the state in a few events, and so I was excited about that. Wished I had a ran the whole time, but I didn't. Just my senior year, I decided to go all out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, while I was in high school, I sung with an interdenominational group called the Life Singers, which was founded by um, the late Carlin, Colonel Harlan Sanders. And um, um, which you know about the um, uh, Colonel Sanders Dinner House in Shelbyville. Mm-hmm. Um, that's um, that was his wife's uh, restaurant. Okay. Yes, and so had the opportunity. We it was called the Life Singers, and so it was an interdenominational group um, that sung um, Christian music. And we went and traveled the states um, singing, and that was a great opportunity as a uh, sophomore in high school, and was able to uh, sing at uh, his funeral at the Rotunda. Left there and went to to college. Went to Midway College, and at that time it was a junior college. And then um, I left Midway. Um, I was studying paralegal at the time while I was there, and I played uh, basketball. I was there on a music and basketball scholarship. Um, so I stayed there two years, and then I went to um, Georgetown College in Kentucky. Uh, continued to play basketball and sing there. Um, only went one year there. And then um, um, I had a basketball injury, and so I didn't go back the following year. Mm-hmm. Um, I decided to go to work in the factory, and um, at, during, I was also dating during that time, mm-hmm. and met the uh, the love of my life. At the um, and um, we dated for four years, and then we were married in 1987. Um, after that, um, um, my first child came um, at 20 uh, when I was 27. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, she was a one pound fifteen ounce premium. Oh wow! Yes, and so um, um, she spent a uh, hundred and ninety two days in the NIC unit at the University of Kentucky Hospital, and um, I could hold her in my hand. She was so small, and um, but um, I was high risk um, at, in the very on the onset of the pregnancy, and so. Um, I would say go to the hospital every single day. She'd had setback after setback. Oh, and what a stressful time. It was, it was. But um, I'm glad to say today she's a thriving 28-year-old with no complications. Uh, and, uh, yeah, she was, our, she was our miracle baby. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. And so after that, um, 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 several years down the road, my um, husband and I had 
struggles because I had an addiction. Um, I was addicted to uh, cocaine and um, on and off for seven years, on and off. And um, if we knew then what we knew, if we knew then what we know now, uh, we probably would have never divorced. But um, I spent some some times in and out of the criminal justice system um, um, on small charges, not going to court. Um, I had one drug drug charge. And so after that, um, um, I finally got my life together, was at my wit's end and decided that um, it was time to make some changes. I wanted to change. Um, and if I didn't change, um, the other um, aspect was to die. Uh, that's just how life was. Um, didn't think I was fit um, to live just based on where I'd been um, and based on what I'd been taught growing up in the church. And um, um, and so um, I got my life together in uh, in 2000 and um, uh, he's awesome. He's even in spite of us. He's in spite of me. Yeah, well, uh, it's in spite of me too. Yes, in spite of me. He's he he is. He he had mercy on me, and um, um, I, I let him know that you know I made a promise that Lord, if you if you help me through this, because this is not what um, I intended to be. This is was not my lot in life. Um, that's not how I grew up. But um, based on. Um, um, some trauma that I experienced in my childhood um, and the feeling of uh, low self-esteem, low mm-hmm. self-worth, mm-hmm. not being able to share those things. Um, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, I carried that into adulthood. Mm-hmm. And, of course, when I got to college, um, um, I found out that, guess what, I can drink to fit in, oh, yes. to be a part of. Um, because I was already labeled an outsider because I didn't do those things when I went to college. Yes. And so um, in order to fit in, that's what I did, not knowing that um, what was coming after that. Um, and so, again, um, in and out, I still worked, and um, um, my, I was in and out of my daughter and my husband's uh, life, and um, we went through uh, a couple of divorces during that time because we still loved each other, mm-hmm. even in the midst of what was going on. Uh, We would get back together. And, um, and so, um, we split up a second time and I, that's when I came, uh, I went to a, a program in Louisville, uh, to get some, some space and get some help and, um, decided to stay, um, um, because I needed the time to, to be me and to find out who I was Went through some therapy for a couple of years and um, started working in the field of nursing. I was a restorative uh, nurse's aide. Um, I loved working with seniors because I love people. Yeah, um, obvious. Yeah, Just meeting you for yeah. Few minutes that <laughs> yeah, I do love people. Um, and um, what a way to give back and giving them a shot of hope because some of what I saw in nursing homes is that sometimes family members just. They leave them. Yeah. Um, and so they needed to know that, guess what, they still mattered. And so I loved what I was doing. But um, then I got the call to move into the area of substance abuse. And um, like, the, like, the, like a company called you or you just felt in your Well, I was, I was at that particular time, I was going to um, what they call 12-step meetings. Okay. And, um, and so, again, I loved helping people. And, and I did that for a while. But... Um, I was moved by one of uh, my mentors at that time who said she had come to Lexington to a training here at the Hope Center uh-huh. and um, had stated to me um, that um, because this is where I grew, where I lived, this is where my family was, yeah. that um, um, that maybe you need to go back and apply for a job there. But mind you, while I was in Louisville, I had started already working in the field. Uh-huh. I was doing double duty. I was working at the um, assisted living home and then also working um, in, a, in a recovery house. I think that's amazing yes. that you were working to become clean and were clean but wanted to help mm-hmm. others. Yeah. I think that's amazing. Yes, yes. And so I did that and I didn't want to come back to Lexington um, at that time because I didn't know if I was ready to come back to Lexington because this is the area where I used um, drugs. Right. And, and so 
important to change locations yes. sometimes. Well, and, and that's true. And, and but what I've learned over time is that it's not so much where you live, it's how you live when you get there. Okay. And so, um, so at, during the, this time, I was, I was also um, continuously building my relationship with God. And it wasn't like, um, um, it wasn't like the God that my parents instilled in, even though it's the same God. But they told me about God. Right. But I began to know God for myself. Right. And 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 building yes, and building the relationship with him. And so, um, you know, that was the, I think that was the turning point in my life is when I began my parents prayed for me. I know they did. I had great parents. I have great parents and I thank God because they're still alive and oh, well. And and but they, they they instilled in us who God was. And they prayed for us. They talked to us about the power of prayer. But uh, knowing about building that intimate relationship with God, I didn't know that until later on. Mm -hmm. Um, But um, um, because of that, I was able to to come back to this area and uh, because I became comfortable in my own skin. Um, And um, and I took the job at the Hope Center uh, in 2002. And I've been there ever since. So I want to get to that in a minute, but before uh-huh. we do that, I want to ask you, what are some, you said you're growing, and I'm assuming still are, because it's a mm-hmm. continual process. Mm-hmm. What are some of the things that you did and still do to learn more about God and grow in that personal relationship with Him? Well, the first thing I had to, to do is I had to identify who God was for me, um, because I'm a true believer that God can be anything that I need him to be at any given time. Because God, it's not just I'm a mono, monoistic God, but he's a triune God. And because of that, God is all about relationships. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so my prayer life got got uh, real active. You know, um, not that I didn't know about prayer because I did, but... Um, in the in the streets per se, and I wasn't living in the streets, but I was I was in the world. Um, um, you know, I made a lot of bargains with God. I only prayed to God when I when I needed something. I was trying to get out of something that was very yeah. Still do that sometimes. Yeah, yeah. But I was only praying to God and saying, I, and I know I know and understand today that there is um, um, there's a two part thing that happens when you when you're in the presence of God and that is um, I'm talking to God I'm praying but then I need to spend time listening and finding out what God's will is for my life because I didn't know what my purpose was and so um, um, when I got that concept that it's more than just me having a talking to him and um, but it's about me learning to listen learning how to be in his presence um, um, learning how to hear that still small voice and knowing the difference between um, the spirit of the Lord and the spirit of the lower power as well, because the enemy will still try to come in and kill, steal and destroy. And yes. so uh, when I was able to to do that, being on my own helped me to do that. And I believe, too, that that's how um, God has landed me where I'm at today is because the distractions went away. Yes. Um, because my husband and my, my current, my, my love, my husband now, um, and that's a story within itself. But um, in 2000, when, um, when I came back to this area and I began to take the job at uh, the Hope Center, we were trying to reconcile at that time. Mm-hmm. But, um, and this was the time that his father was sick as well. Oh, yeah. and, um, um, and I had asked him the question, um, I said, if I were to be a preacher, what do you think about that? Would you mind being married to a preacher? He said, no, I don't want to be married to a preacher. Oh, okay. <clears throat> and I said, okay, that's fine. And so then the, I, the thought of God calling me to ministry at that time was out yeah. of the way because I really wanted to be with him. Um, I still was in love with him. And um, um, yeah. So how did God redeem your marriage? Ooh, wait. That's uh, that's that's the that's the mystery of God. Um, he <laughs> works in mysterious <laughs> ways. Yes, he does. And so, um, you know, we didn't we didn't um, I didn't him and I didn't stay um, together. I went back. I moved to Lexington. Mm-hmm. 
So this was in 2000? This was in 2002. 2000, okay. Mm-hmm, in 2002. And he stayed in, um, um, in Midway because that's where we met on a blind date back in 1980, 83. Aww. And so... Um, I just love that. Yeah, I was 17. Yeah, he was 22. We, and... I played basketball at the uni- at the it's a university now, but um, and um, a girlfriend of mine was dating his cousin, okay. and so we decided to um, we were all together one night and I didn't know him and they just kind of put us together and said hey, yeah. won't y'all hang out together and we did and so did you know like that night it was something special or you were just kind of like oh. just really was just kind of hanging out but I but I knew there was something there because he was tall dark and handsome you know. <laughs> And he drove there a sports be, right? car, yes, um, you know, and he was already, you know, he was at the University of Kentucky at that time. And so he was already already what I envisioned because my father was very, um, I wanted somebody like my father. Yes. And because my father was, um, you know, he was well-to-do. We didn't, we didn't want for much growing up, mm-hmm. um, if anything at all. And um, um, my father had um, a blue-collar job and... Um, you know, he took care of the family. Mm-hmm. He drove a nice car. Yeah. You know, we had nice things. And yeah. so that's what I wanted. Mm-hmm. And um, not knowing that love came from the inside out right. and not immaterial things at that time. However, um, and so we started dating after that. But um, um, in um, 2002, when I took the job at the Hope Center, it was a job for me mm-hmm. and, at that time. And I worked on the night shift. But again, I loved helping people yeah. um, and watching um, the women come in at that time because I was just, um, I was a nighttime monitor. That's where I started. Okay. So you started the, like, at the very bottom. Okay. Because mm-hmm. I didn't have, grant you, I didn't finish college. Right, that's right. So I didn't have a college education. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I, had, I had an associate's degree at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I started out at night and um, I had went into the office of the director at that time um, and I told her that, you know, after a short period of time of being there, that I wanted to learn as much as I could about the organization. Um, and so if there was anything that became available on other shifts, that I would be interested. Because mm-hmm. I, I just believe in knowing the whole scheme of, of things. And so um, I was able after, I don't know, less than a year, I was on day shift. Oh, wow. And... Um, and I was working with the clients and just worked my way up um, to now where I'm the director of programs there yeah. over, over what, the last um, 17, 18 years. Wow. So um, um, I took over the men and women's division in the corrections in 2006. Then we have a permanent housing for women uh-huh. that I supervise as well. Yeah. And now I, I oversee an intensive outpatient uh, program where um, – insurance provider mm-hmm. um, and so I get to do all of that so working with men and women on a daily basis yeah. um, what's it like for you to have been in the shoes of the people that you're oh in? it's amazing man and what that but when I hear their stories yeah. I didn't go through anything um, when I hear the stories of the people that I work with on a daily basis. Um, now, mind you, I was only out there, and I'm not minimizing it because it was it was a terrible time for me. No. Never would I have thought. That's not one thing that I said that I'm going to grow up and be no, uh, no. an addict. Um, um, but um, to watch the men and women come into the programs beat up and beat down mm-hmm. without a shot of hope mm-hmm. and then watching their lives transform over time. It's a long-term residential program. Mm-hmm. And so I get it's not that we see them for just a few days and then they're gone, but we get to spend at least six months if yeah. when they stay in the process and watching them walk in um, mangled. Yeah. Um, looking at every crack in the floor. Um, hopeless. Yeah. And then watching, I like to call them roses. That's what I call the girls. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm reminded of um, a rose, and if you're, it's that's in the ground, and there's, there's, it's, the ground is hard around it, and there's cracks in the ground, and it hasn't been, it hasn't been tilled or soiled, um, and wilds, and the, and the, the leaves are, are brittle, yeah. um, but then, once you begin to pour water, on the, 
on the soil and remove the weeds that have began to choke yeah. choke the rose bush out. Um, the old petals, the deformed petals fall away, but then new branches come um, or blooms or buds. And so um, that's what I get to watch the women do. And that's what I call them because, you know, that's how they come in. They come in beat up and beat down. Um, and they turn into the beautiful roses that God had intended for them to be. Yeah, before our interview today, I was watching, oh, I was on the Hope Center's website, mm-hmm. and you have a testimony <laughs> up there. And so I was watching some of them. Um, can you tell me about one, um, you have many, I'm sure, but one that has just meant a lot to you, and you're like, this is why I do what I do? Well, gosh, just to pick out one, there's many. And, you know, the, the, uh, the reality of recovery is um, that um, no one can ever tell who's going to make it and who's not. Mm-hmm. Um, I can sit and tell you, because you can't judge a book by its cover. No. And I can per se tell you that one person, this person will and that person won't because um, of what I see on the outside. But, mm-hmm. but we, we come to the realization that, you know, recovery is not about... Um, how much time you have mm-hmm. in the process, but it's about the quality of sobriety that you have. But I, if I had to pick one person out of many, um, I'm thinking of a young lady that um, that came in, and, and I'm going to use my recent memory, okay. <laughs> <That's great. laughs> um, that um, came in knowing who God was, but based on a lot of trauma in her life, she was just torn completely. Not only was her spiritual um, health torn, but she also had a lot of medical issues Mm -hmm. due to her addiction and um, low self-worth. And, you know, she she walked with her head hung down a lot. Mm -hmm. And um, she didn't speak much when she came in, and she was most definitely scared of me. Um, They say I walk with the spirit of, of authority. Uh, that's what they say. And so, but they tell me over time that it's not so much that they, they might have been scared of me then, but they have so much respect uh, for me because they can see the love and the compassion yeah. that I have for them. Yeah, I do carry tough love. I do. Um, it's not about patting individuals on the hands. Yes. Um, because you have to understand the population that we serve um, is more than just um, um, dealing with the substance abuse, but you also have to deal with the mental health. Yeah. Um, you can't treat one without the other. We believe in a holistic process, treating that whole um, and providing a, um, a continuum of care for mm-hmm. all aspects because it's not the drugs and the alcohol that you're dealing with because they're not using when they come. Right. It's about the issues of trauma, the, the abuse, um, the emotional abuse, um, whatever they bring losses that that they haven't dealt with Um, and the loss could be even the drugs and the alcohol and that they they, that's exactly right Right. and 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 you have those that because the the disease of addiction does not have a respective person it hits Mm -hmm. all walks of life and so um, I've had opportunities to see doctors and lawyers and nurses all the way down to someone that that never worked a day in their life, Um, Mm -hmm. those that uh, had somebody always doing for them and those that had to figure out how to do it for themselves, Mm -hmm. those that have been in the throes of addiction because it's been a vicious cycle in their households for many, many years. Mm -hmm. It's just, it was the right, it was the only thing to do. Mm -hmm. That's all they knew. Mm -hmm. And so, but this particular young lady, um, um, I watched her from a distance, Mm -hmm. Um, um, but she had a yearning, um, for something different. And um, she had one of those aha moments when she um, came to the realization that the God that she knew today was totally different than the God she had been taught, not the, the condemning God, the, the fire and brimstone type and God. Yes. But God could be, again, because I, t- I teach the spirituality class there, um, teaching them the difference between religion and spirituality because there is a vast difference. Huge difference. And when, when, the, when that concept hits home for um, a male or female person in recovery, that's an aha moment. Mm-hmm. When they are able to identify who God is for themselves mm-hmm. and you know, paint that picture of, of who he is and that it's this God that loves me for exactly who I am 
you know, and even in the midst of all the things that I've done, Mm -hmm. he still loves me. Mm -hmm. He still has mercy on me. He's just and he's kind and he's gentle. And so that's the message that we 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 teach. And, you know, my boss tells me all the time, you've been why are you going into ministry when you've been preaching (laughs) all this time? So you got to answer the call when God says move, you've got to move. And so her life today Oh, it's awesome. Um, the relationship that she has with God, the the obstacles that she has overcome, just being there um, in the process is, um, uh, it's amazing. Yeah. And that's what keeps me there, watching the lives change. Yeah. Yes. That yeah. is amazing. Yeah. Her head is hung high. She, you know, she doesn't walk like this and she opens up her mouth because you have to let them know that they've got a voice. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's beautiful. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> so, what does your day-to-day job Ooh look wee. like? Ooh I'm wee. sure it can vary widely. <laughs> well, what day of the week? <laughs> um, if I'm talking about the Hope Center, you know, again, um, it used to be um, that I was very in the in the in the in the throes of the program, uh-huh. and so I was um, taking care of the day-to-day activities, running the. The, the program, the, the peer-driven model community, because mm-hmm. it's a therapeutic community. Mm-hmm. It's women in recovery, men in recovery, helping men. Because, mm-hmm. you know, who best knows the process than those who have gone through it? Right. And so um, overseeing that and the staffing and the scheduling, um, um, that's that was my main job. But now I'm, I'm, I'm kind of in the middle now. I'm administrative okay. and programmatic and so I get to sit on the other side and and see how the bills get paid and okay. you know try to help um, make sure that um, we're providing great services for the clients trying you know always looking and to tweak the process for lack of a better word to make sure that um, that it gets better always try to make it better than yeah. what it was um, to ensure that the, we meet that client exactly where they are I have a set model but not a cookie cutter process because um, everybody's needs yeah. are different. Yeah. And so what might work for, for yeah. one may not work for somebody else. Yeah. And so I go to a lot of meetings. Um, <laughs> I go to a meeting to go to a meeting. But you're kind of the advocate. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I go to, a, and which I'm honored uh, to be able to do that. Um, I go to a lot of trainings. Um, so I not only have meetings with inside of the Hope Center, but a lot of community partner meetings, okay. uh, meetings with the city, meetings with other agencies, um, other collaborating um, partners and grants opportunities that we we partner with. And yeah. so work with a lot of judges. I work with POs and lawyers and uh, when I say POs, probation and parole, okay. yeah. um, because we do um, have a Department of Corrections contract. Okay. And so we deal with the clients who are, you know, have been a part of the criminal justice system. Um, along with, um, so you take the institutionalization mm-hmm. of being incarcerated along with um, substance abuse, mental health, mm-hmm. you tie all of that. That's a lot that has to, to be done, but we, it doesn't happen overnight. Yeah. It takes time. Behaviors haven't developed in just a few no. days, not even six months, but if we can give them the tools um, that they need, mm-hmm. um, um, then we've done our job. Right. We lay them at your feet, and it's up to you to pick them up and take them with you when you go. Apply them and then take them with you, yes. Yeah, the statistics I read about the recovery through your program are amazing. Yes, we we pride ourselves. We don't do our own um, um, statistics. We partner with the University of Kentucky Center for Alcohol and Drug Research that um, that compiles uh, reports for us. And um, the Hope Center... um, is a, a model along with the Healing Place in Louisville okay. uh, for the Recovery Kentucky models. And and what that is is they took um, our facility, the women's facility, because um, we bo- we have both men and women. So right, we, right. we probably have over close to 800, maybe more now because we have a new building, okay. um, too, um, that we house every night. And so the men have a shelter. But the women's program is a freestanding program based on tax credits and a lot of uh, grants and other, you know, funding mm-hmm. sources. And so um, and we didn't want to have a shelter either because we have the Salvation Army. Right, right. And so um, they took our building when we built this building back in um, 2000 because it opened in 2001 because it opened in 2002. Um, we only opened with 56 beds. 
But there's an old adage, if you, if you build it, they'll, yeah, they'll, they'll come. come. Um, and so our numbers rose over time, and we still were incurring a waiting list, and the need was great. And, you know, we, we went from cocaine and marijuana to, to the meth and then to um, the opioid epidemic. Mm-hmm. And so back to meth and all of these fentanyl and all those things yeah. were on the rise today. And so um, <clears throat> what happened is that um, because of um, um, Governor um, um, Ernie Fletcher, okay. um, along with um, the executive director of the Hope Center, which is Cecil Don, and uh, a very another very giant in the community uh, who has since passed on is uh, Mr. Don Ball, um, and uh, Kentucky Housing Corporation with another partners with um, the Lexington Housing Authority, mm-hmm. Federal Home Loan Banks in Cincinnati. We've been able to. Um, model these buildings across the state of Kentucky. And so there are 17 of these now. But the difference is um, they took our building, the Women's Center's building, and they doubled it in size. Those were the recommendations we made. Uh, We met with developers and and um, contractors. And what would you do, you know, differently? Make it bigger. Yeah. And so there are, are... Again, 17 of these 100-bed facilities across the state. That's amazing. Yes. What a legacy. Yes, yes. And so we, um, you know, our model is um, is a 12-step 12 12-step model based on the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. We're not affiliated with, with AA in any way, shape, form, or fashion. And, and we um, use a curriculum called the Kelly Foundation, which um, applies the 12 steps um, where the individual is able to go through a 12-step process of finding out about them. Okay. You have to find the problem. Right. When you know the problem, then you when you identify the problem, then you can find the solution. And the solution is not the person. Right. The solution right. is to find a power greater than yourself, and that power can restore you to sanity. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that's... Uh, that's amazing. <laughs> so somebody's listening to this podcast, mm-hmm. and they... They themselves need help. Yes. Or like, what should what should they do? Well, um, they can call the, they can call the Hope Center. Um, they can call eight five nine two five two two thousand and two for the women's program, or they can call eight five nine two five two seven eight eight one. That is the one of the the main building for the entry to the men's program. Uh, if they want to go to the website, it's www hopectr.org uh, and um, also they can um, also Google Recovery Kentucky mm-hmm. and find um, uh, programs such as ours uh, in any region of the state. Okay. All right. And I'm assuming they can do the same if they're listening and they're not in yes. Kentucky. Yes. Um, uh, most of our programs cater to those in Kentucky. Um, our program, we do take some out of, there are fees for out-of-state individuals, but it doesn't cost to come to these programs. That's the beauty of it. Um, we partner again with drug court. We partner with um, with judges. Um, some may be court ordered, um, um, but if they are court ordered, there are fees for the court order. If they have income, of course, they pay based on their income, but otherwise they get six, eight, nine, ten months of recovery services, um, and all they have to do is work on themselves. Right. So how can the community, like us as the community, not just the seminary mm-hmm. community, but the larger community, how can we work with the Hope Center? Well, it's been amazing because um, um, the Asbury uh, Seminary has some um, students have come and done volunteer work at the at the Hope Center. Actually, it was um, oh. they found out that it was some of my, my friends that, that were here found out that I worked there. And so they brought a vast majority of people to come and we planted flowers and mulch with the clients um, at the Women's Center. That's been several years ago, but there's plenty of time, plenty of opportunities to volunteer, mm-hmm. to bring food. Um, we always set our clothing donations because most people come and they don't have anything. Right. And so um, we never turn down a donation. Uh, we we also we um, take monetary donations as well, but two th- I mean anything you can imagine that you might need, they'll need, it. they'll need as well. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, that's cool. Yes, so we'll link to all of this in our show notes so that people don't have to remember and they can just click. Okay, when listening to the podcast. Okay, um, but you talked about being called to ministry. How did you experience your call to ministry? When I when I think about if I had to depict a person in the in the Bible. 
um, for who I am or who I was, it would be Jonah. Okay. My life was uh, was like Jonah because as I as I roll the tape back <clears throat> in my life and reflect on um, growing up and being in the church, and I love church. Mm-hmm. I love to sing, um, um, and I just love being in the house and listening to the choir and watching the preachers. And um, but God was had a calling when I was a, when I was a kid. Um, I see that now. I didn't see it then. I just thought it was just something that I yeah. that I did, you know. It's because, easy to see looking yes, because I can recall used to I used to go in the kitchen and get my mom's wooden wooden spoons out of the um, out of the uh, out of the drawer, and I would go into the bathroom. I'm supposed to be taking a taking a shower, <laughs> and I'm standing in the mirror, and I'm I'm preaching, mocking the pastor. Um, and um, and I would be singing in the mic, and 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 I would have dreams of of preaching in the pulpit. Mm-hmm. But I never told anybody about that. I, you know, just thought it was just it was just fantasy. I didn't know what to do. I didn't. That. I didn't know. I didn't know what I didn't know. Um, as time has gone on, and I came back to the church, rededicated my life back to the, to God. Um, um, I got real active in the church, singing, um, directing choirs. Because that was my heart, um, prayer ministries and things of those natures. I mean, I taught Sunday school. I did all of that, and and God kept tugging at me mm-hmm. then, but I wasn't listening. As He does. Yes, yes. And He would place people in my life to say, "Hey, um, I can remember um, um, that um, there was." Uh, we call them presiding elders in our district. I'm a part of the African Methodist Episcopal okay. Church, and um, he um, he kept saying, "When are you going to let me?" Uh, sign um, sign that paper and I was like what paper <laughs> you know and he said um, um, you're licensed to preach and I said nah so that's not me mm-hmm. that's just not me um, and then other people have said that God had um, an, an, an anointing on you mm. but I didn't I, I still I wasn't trying to believe that there's no way the community sometimes knows yeah. can see it before yeah. you can see it and even the the the, the um, the um, inception of the rules coming out of a Baptist church is that women are not called right. to preach. Yeah. So that um, was something you had to yes. Yeah. And so, and I didn't do that um, until I was, I joined the African Methodist Episcopal church. And I grant you when I joined the African Methodist Episcopal church, ministry was not in my, in my view. Mm-hmm. My husband was an AME. And so I wanted to go to church where he went to church. Right. And that's the reason that I joined the AME church not because preaching was <laughs> that was a more far fetched thing from my mind. Uh, um, if you ever if you had told me I'd been preaching, then I just like yeah right. Yeah. Um, but nevertheless, um, the calling got stronger. Um, um, again, my my husband um, and I were divorced, mm-hmm. and um, I had been in a relationship um, with with another gentleman, and um, um, I got pregnant, mm-hmm. and. Um, didn't think I could have any more children. Mm-hmm. My first daughter, Melanie, was high risk, mm-hmm. and so I was I was not only you know type of um, uh, birth control. Mm-hmm. Didn't think I could, and it happened. Mm-hmm. I was um, I was by myself for for that entire pregnancy, oh, um, yeah. um, but I was also on complete bed rest. I couldn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, even though my job wasn't um, wasn't stressful, wasn't physical, you know, I worked my mind more than I did anything. But um, um, they put me on complete bed rest, and um, that was the time then that um, God began to really speak to me. Mm, you had lots of time. Who I had plenty of time, um, but I didn't know. I didn't. I didn't realize at the time, and I, I was angry. I had a lot of bitter moments during that time, and. Um, um, but God, again, always had a ram in the bush. Mm. And so while I was by myself um, without the um, the father of the twins around, um, God placed other people in my life. Um, my mother-in-law, who has passed on the glory just a few months ago, uh, which is my current husband's mother, oh, wow. my, my mother-in-law of all, 
love, bless her heart. She lived uh, 93 years. And so um, she came and lived with me and she fed me and she cooked for me and she helped keep me, uh, keep the house and the kids. And now grant you, um, I wasn't married to her son anymore. Um, Her son was married to somebody else. And, um, but that's the love that, that we had for each. She was a great mother-in-law. And, um, and so, um, um, it was during that time that uh, I wasn't able to go to church Mm, and there was in our church in the AME church, um, um, we are appointed by the bishop. And so appointments are for a year. And so I had, there was a new pastor that came, um, to town and, while I was bed on rest. bed rest, mm-hmm. and she came to see me. And um, when she came in, I grant you I'd never seen her before. Um, and um, she came and she introduced herself, said she was the new pastor. And she immediately told me that God had a higher calling on my life when just looking at me. And I'm looking at her wow. like, I said, you don't even know me. And that's, those were my words to her. Right. And how do you know? Because I'm not sure myself. <laughs> exactly. And so we, we shared. She talked and we shared and we prayed and she prayed. And she taught me a lot of things that I didn't know um, in reference to being in relationship with God. I didn't know about praying and fasting mm-hmm. and, and looking for discernment. And so um, um, I began to do that. Um, and... <laughs> it's just amazing. Um, I was able, after a short period of time, to go back to, to church. And um, I went back to church, and I was back doing what I normally mm-hmm. did. And I was, mm-hmm. you know, we would still have conversations about the call and, and what that entailed. And I still, I said, but how do you know? Yeah, you know, that's the question. She said, just pray um, and ask God for discernment. If you'll do it, do this and just wait on God, you'll know. And I was in church um, on a Sunday afternoon, <laughs> and I was in worship experience, and I was sitting on the back row mm-hmm. of the church, and there was a preacher that had come to preach that afternoon. It was for Missionary Day. Mm-hmm. And um, I grant you, I'd already had conversations with mm-hmm. um, my pastor at that time, just asking all kinds of questions that I needed answers to mm-hmm. that I, I just wasn't getting those answers. Yeah, I was still looking for an answer, and she said, just wait on it. Just wait. You'll know. And when this preacher came, it was a female preacher. When she came to preach at the church that afternoon, um, she began her sermon um, talking, and she was preaching on living um, clean in a dirty, dirty world. That was her sermon. I'll never forget it as long as I live. But then she diverted from her sermon toward the latter stages. Mm -hmm. And she said, I I don't know why I'm going here, but God has spoken to me because there's somebody in this church that um, is looking for answers. And every single question that I had talked to my pastor about, Uh she addressed. And I thought, oh, my my God, are you kidding me? Uh And the more I sat there, the more agitated. And it wasn't agitated. It was just I got fidgety. Uh in my seat um, and um, and I could feel something coming over me and God was speaking to me then and she, the more she talked the more antsy I got and when the invitation to Christian discipleship came and, and I kept sitting I didn't move um, and they were getting ready to close it out and I finally God spoke and said move and I finally threw up my hands and I said, okay, God, I surrender. And I got up and I made my way to the front and um, exclaimed to the church that um, I had a calling on my life to preach. And I was ready to accept my call and tears just flew. I cried and I cried. I, I will never forget that. That was June the 6th of 2006, six months after my twins were born. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's yeah. two huge things at the same time. Yeah. And, you know, 
I took off running after that. Because yeah. um, you came to Asbury I came, after that. I came to, I first went to Payne Theological Seminary for a year in 2000 and 2007. Um, That's what I like about you. Like, as you've told your story, your whole life, it's like you wanted something or felt like God yeah. was calling you to do it. You learned as much as you could about it. And yeah. you just went straight for it. toward it. Yeah, I went for it. I, I preached my initial sermon. Um, 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 in August of that year, and I went to, um, I went to the, I was admitted on trial to the annual conference mm-hmm. a year later. Started going to the board in the church, mm-hmm. and then um, I went to school at Payne Theological Seminary, which is the AME Church's okay. uh, seminary. Um, that's one of our seminaries, and but it was online. Um, but I, and I wanted something more close to home because that was in Wilberforce, yeah. and somebody told me about Asbury, okay. and so I sent a little memo to um, some. Of, um, actually, it was Tammy Cessna that okay. I met, what and um, and um, she um, sent me information about the admissions process and all those things, and invited me to the campus. Okay. And um, when I went, when I came to Asbury on campus that day. I could feel the presence of God on this campus. And it was like um, uh, I was treated with royalty. Mm-hmm. They pulled out the red carpet. Yeah. And, um, I mean, people were just so nice and friendly. Um, and by the time I got through that day, I knew this was where I was supposed to be. Yeah. And so um, I, was in, I was accepted. And um, I came in in the uh, Masters of Christian Leadership and um, met some great instructors here, professors, um, and I was doing some online, and I was also coming to the classroom sometime during the day, sometimes at night, still working. And then by this time, I had my first charge. And so um, um, it was twice a month. And then um, I graduated um, in, um, in 2000 and. 2010. Okay. The first time. And you came back for the MDiv. And then I came back for the MDiv and, and graduated in 2017. And now you're here for the demon. And now I'm here so for the what demon. Are you studying? You know, I am studying now, preaching and leading. Okay. Uh, and your dissertation? My dissertation is um, uh, evaluating the disparities of men and women clergy and leadership roles in the African Methodist Episcopal Church, namely the 13th Episcopal District. That sounds fascinating. Yes. Yes. I'm excited about it. So being, in three years, we'll have to have you back on because I want to know what you find out. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, being a woman in uh, in leadership um, um, in the church and um, um, looking at it, and God has blessed me mm-hmm. um, to be ordained an itinerant elder in the church. And, um, and those have happened right at the same times that I've graduated from here. Wow. And, um, and so, um, again, my mentor, uh, Maxine L. Thomas, um, um, who is also a Beeson scholar mm-hmm. and was an adjunct professor here at one time. Um, she um, she encouraged me to come back. Um, and so I appreciate her pushing and nudging me to continue to, to strive for excellence. And and so um, um, I met my third charge in the church. Um, I'm in Elizabethtown. Um, I, you know, God, I started out small and God has blessed me to mm-hmm. elevate me. Mm-hmm. Um, there, I love the I love people, mm-hmm. and and I've learned early on that when you love people, they will love you back. Yes. Mm-hmm. And um, I love pastoral ministry. I love watching even the lives in the church because I I, I know um, that even those of us in the church, um, we come with our own demons. Oh, yes, and and I'm just a firm believer that true worship can't happen until we are able to address the demons that lie inside of us. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so we have to, again, just like I have to meet people where they are in, um, at the Hope Center, even at the church, you have to meet people where they are in their own brokenness. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, yeah, I love it. Yeah. I love, yeah, I love yeah. pastoring. Which is an affirmation of your calling, too. <laughs> yeah. So as we wrap up our conversation today, which I have thoroughly enjoyed, I feel like we could just keep talking <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for all afternoon. Yes. Really. 
Um, but our podcast is called The Thrive Podcast. Mm-hmm. So we close the podcast with a few questions that we ask everybody. So since it's called The Thrive Podcast, what's a, excuse me, what's a practice, spiritual or otherwise, that's helping you thrive in your life right now? Um, for me, it's um, um, continuing to have um, that prayer and um, meditation time. Mm-hmm. Um, again, with life being busy, um, with the church and with work and the family life. Um, and thank God I have a partner for ministry and my husband that um, um, my hat is off to him because he's very supportive mm-hmm. in ministry. And and he's he'll tell you I'm not the pastor, she is. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, he supports me very much. But to have that time that allowed me to have that time to be able to be in God's presence, and I still have to grow because that some days are better than others. But I, I truly believe in um, keeping my trying to keep my spiritual tank full, Absolutely. because when you're pouring out and pouring out, there it gets to the point where um, you have nothing else to give. And while being in class these last two weeks, I was up sitting there and I was listening to one of the professors, and we were discussing habits that sustain ministry. Mm-hmm. And um, one thing that that struck me um, uh, resonated in my spirit was, you know, I love ministry and I love what it does and and through the workings of the Holy Spirit. And so it's not so much that um, I want to burn out, but I don't want to rust out. Oh, right. I don't want to rust out. Um, And so I try to enjoy my, my motto is enjoy the journey. If you know anything about me, if you hear, see any emails from me, that's what you'll see at, mm. in my line is I to enjoy that. the journey. And I got that from a preacher that preached one of our ordinations, so my first ordination. Mm. That's what he told us, no matter what, because sometimes on this journey, you might feel like that you, and I have, feel like I'm all by myself. Yeah. Um, and you literally gets, have been all by yourself Yes, sometimes. yes, and... Uh, but in the midst of that, I know that God is with me mm-hmm. and that he's not going to send me any place that he hasn't already prepared a way for me to get there. Mm-hmm. He's already provided for me. And so I'm reminded of Jeremiah 29 and 11. Mm-hmm. It says, I, I know the plans yes. Yes. that I have for you, declares the Lord. You know, plans to not to harm you, but to, to give you hope, to prosper you and hope for for future. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I hold on to. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you. Of your busy schedule to come by and thank talk you. With me today. I appreciate it. Hi, God bless you. Hey everyone, thank you so much for joining me for today's conversation with Stephanie. She is a gift, and I'm so grateful for our conversation and for the power of hope. If you or someone you know needs help with addiction recovery, we have links in the show notes, so check that out. And if you need the resources offered, please reach out. As always, you can follow us in all the places on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at at Asbury Seminary. Until next time, have a great day, y'all, and go do something that helps you thrive.